darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose and I'm free to
right. Hey, happy Easter, everybody. He is risen. Come on, feel free to grab a seat, guys. We are excited to get to worship our resurrected Savior here with you this morning in person. Hey, to our online crew tuning in as well. Uh, if you guys would do us a favor, hey, we just want to know you guys are here. Uh, you can help us out by doing, a couple, doing this a couple of ways. You can text the word guest to 833-CHAT-NCC. We got a small form just to fill out. It would be so helpful to get that information. Now, we promise we're not going to spam you. We're not going to sell your information or do anything like that. It's just really helpful for us to touch base and say hello. So if you're newish to North Point, please feel free to drop that, uh, fill that out for us. You can also do it there on the North Point app. And if you don't have the North Point app, we can hook you up. You simply text the word APP to 833-CHAT-NCC. We'll send a link there for uh, Apple devices as well as um, Android or whatever other people have because I'm an Apple guy myself. So there you go. Uh, feel free to do that. It's a great way to stay uh, in touch with everything going on with this week's talk or announcements and things like that that we're doing with events. Um, let's see here. North Point exists actually to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus, and a big part of that is actually being a part of the community, being the hands and feet of Jesus in the community. And so we have great partnerships with nonprofits and people all over uh, the greater Lansing area, including uh, things like blood drives. And we've got a blood drive coming up here on April 24th. And uh, if you would like to be a part of that, you can register right there on the North Point app uh, to donate blood on a Sunday morning. It makes a huge difference, saves lives. And so we'd encourage you guys, if that's something that you like to do, sign up, be a part of that, come join us here on April 24th as we do a blood drive. One of the last things we want to do before we jump back into it uh, is worship through our giving. And there's a few different ways to do that. We've got the uh, wooden boxes right there in the back. You can give right there on the North Point app, or you can text the word give to 833-CHAT-NCC. We'll send that link to you. But uh, if you call North Point home, if you're a part of our family, man, we would encourage you this morning, uh, give worshipfully, give sacrificially, give knowing that Jesus is the one who provides for all of our needs. So go ahead, take a second to do that, and the band's gonna keep on going for us.
don't know about any of you, but that is the God that I serve. That is my Jesus, the one who died for us when we absolutely did not deserve for him to do that for us. And I saw this this morning and I wanted to share it with you. It said he healed the one who arrested him, served the one who betrayed him, and loved the world who crucified him. That's my Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know who that is, please, please ask somebody because we would love to share him with you. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. You're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free.
Good morning. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. For 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have given that message to each other and had that kind of response back. Do you wonder, do you wonder what it was like 2,000 years ago on that Sunday morning, just a few days earlier, 48 hours earlier, the city, I think, the city of Jerusalem had woken in a panic. It seemed like all of Jerusalem had poured into the courtyard outside Pilate's palace with a focus and a fury that seemed inappropriate for Passover, and especially for that early in the morning. Maybe it was the amount of people that were there that were involved. Maybe it was just early in the morning and they hadn't had their coffee yet. Maybe everybody just got caught up in the moment. But in just literally a matter of minutes, the crowd had cried out for a murderer to be released and for Jesus to be crucified. In short order, Jesus had been brutally beaten, had been paraded through the streets of Jerusalem to a hill outside of town and literally nailed to two pieces of wood. The one who had come into town five days earlier to a hero's welcome, who had been worshiped as the next king of Israel, had now become an object of scorn suspended in air where people could gawk at his battered body and, his, and the exposure that was there of him. He had died a grisly, gruesome death. His body had been placed quietly in a rich friend's family tomb, a sort of cave that hadn't been used before with a stone rolled over the mouth of it. About the time that Jesus died, an earthquake hit the city of Jerusalem. And I think on that Sunday morning, people were already talking about what the priests were going to do because the, the big curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from all of the Jewish population had been torn in half, 30 feet tall. It had been torn in half. And now people could look into the Holy of Holies. Passover was done, but Jerusalem was still flooded with people. The city was probably five times its normal size in terms of population. And everybody was talking about what a crazy week it had been, all the things that had transpired that week. Their expectations for Jesus had been so high. And then they'd been filled with disappointment. And the disappointment had turned to anger, and the anger had almost become hatred. When the city, when the city had gone to bed after celebrating Sabbath on Saturday night, I think it had gone to bed with this sense of resignation, almost an acceptance that nothing was ever gonna change. And that the coming of the Messiah, it really was just a pipe dream. Something people talked about, but it was never gonna happen. One of the biographers of Jesus describes that Sunday morning this way. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, 
Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and three days and on the third day be raised again. In 1969, Rachel Kubler-Ross wrote a book uh, about the five stages of grief a person typically goes through when a close friend or family member dies. The first stage is denial. That's, that's that time when, the, when they get the phone call, when they hear the word and they say, no, 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 that couldn't be true. That can't have happened. It had to be somebody else. It had to be a mistake. The denial is, is followed by, by a period of, of anger where they lash out. It had to be the doctor's fault. Why did that guy run that stop sign? Who sold that person that gun? And that anger permeates their life. The third stage is a stage of bargaining. God, God, can't you take me instead? Can't you just restore this person I love and, and let me die instead? If, you, if you'll bring him back, you know what? I'll build a hospital. I'll, 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 I'll raise money to fight that disease. I'll do whatever it takes. After the bargaining comes this comes a, a stage of depression where the person realizes that the person that they loved is gone and they just don't think that they can make it another day. The void is too great. There doesn't seem to be any purpose to their life. And the final stage is acceptance. It's, it's that time when they realize, you know what, life is gonna go on. That void, that hole is still gonna be there. It's never gonna change. But I still can make a difference in the lives of people around me. There still is purpose to my life. I think the disciples, the people who knew and loved Jesus, I think that they went through all five of those stages of grief at Jesus' death that weekend. They didn't believe that the events could happen the way that they had, even though Jesus had told them they would. They denied it. They, no, it, something different had to happen. I think that they were angry, angry with the religious leaders, angry with Judas for betray, be, betraying Jesus, angry with the mob who had called for the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus, angry with the soldiers for the beating that they gave Jesus. I think that they were angry with themselves for, for not stopping it, for allowing it to happen. I think they probably tried to bargain with God that weekend. I think their depression was overwhelming Friday night, all day Saturday, and when they woke up on Sunday morning, they had to ask themselves, have we really wasted three years of our lives? We followed Jesus all this time. We heard him teach, and now he's dead. They were so sure he had been the Messiah. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him feed thousands. They'd seen him calm storms. They had even seen him walk on water. How could he do that if not for the power of God? They had to ask themselves, how could we have been so wrong? As the women we just read about experienced, that the, the women that we just read about, I think experienced a different set of stages when they encountered the empty grave, when they faced the empty tomb that morning. They're stages that I think we are probably universal for all of us who know and love and follow Jesus. I think that they can be universal for all of us when we look at that empty grave. 
the first thing that they experienced was confusion. They, the, the, the women were initially filled with confusion. Mark says that as the women approached the tomb, they had a conversation among themselves and said, we don't know who's gonna roll away the, the stone from the face of the tomb. What are we gonna do? They just didn't know. They didn't know what to expect. When they got to the tomb, the stones already rolled away. The guards are either unconscious on the ground or they're gone, and Jesus' body is nowhere to be seen. They didn't know how to make sense of all of that data. Luke says that they were wondering, trying to determine what happened over and over again. And at that point, fear stepped in to where the confusion had been. And an angel appears to talk to them, and these women go face down in the dirt because of the presence of the angels. Pilate had stationed guards at the mouth of the tomb to make sure the body of Jesus wasn't stolen. But what the women encountered when they saw the angels was far scarier than anything that Rome could bring into their lives. The angel says to them, fear not, don't be afraid. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here, he's risen just as he said. They're confused and afraid, but the angel gives them the answer that they're looking for. The angel tells them the truth about the situation. Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. You know, it's not that unusual when we face an obstacle, when we face a crisis, when we face some kind of situation that's so overwhelming that, that we're filled with confusion and fear, that we don't know what to do. Oftentimes, um, when we look back at that event, you know, whether that's a, a pink slip at work, whether that's a diagnosis of some medical condition we didn't anticipate, whether it's an arrest that takes place in our life, when we look backwards, we can see in that moment that the answer was there all along. We just missed it. Those things that we needed to do, the steps that we needed to take, they were there. We just missed them at that point in time. That's what happened with the women. They heard the words of the angel. They had the head knowledge. They understood it at some level, but it just didn't compute. It didn't match their expectations. How could someone rise from the dead? <clears throat> Maybe you're here this morning because your parents made you come. Or maybe your spouse said, please, for Easter, would you just come to church with me this Sunday, this one Sunday? Maybe you're here this morning because you're curious. You've always wondered what the big deal about Easter was. And you thought, you know what? I think that I'm just gonna come and check it out this year. And you listen to me talk and you hear as we read the scripture and you think, that idea of a person coming back to life, it's just too far-fetched. It's too hard to comprehend. It just, it's impossible, so it couldn't have happened. J. Warner Wallace is a homicide detective who specializes in solving cold case murders. He's been featured on Dateline and received a number of awards for his analytical work that resulted in convictions on cases that no one else had been able to figure out. As an atheist, he decided to look at the facts and the claims about the resurrection in order to prove it false. As he studied the case and as he applied his special set of skills, he came to a conclusion. 
the only reasonable explanation of the facts is to accept that something supernatural happened and Jesus actually rose from the dead. He wrote about his analysis and that process that he went through, his conclusions in the book Cold Case Christianity. Um, the last two, services I've, uh, last two services I've said, um, if you're interested, we have a small book that's like a, a condensed version of Cold Case Christianity that we'd like to give to each family. I, I've said that the last two services and we ran out. Um, so I don't have one to be, able, to be able to give you, but let me just say this. If you would like a copy of that, we'll, we will get more and we'll have them here in a few weeks in however much time it takes. If you want one of those, just come back. Or if you want to send a note to us um, uh, through the app or through, through the website, info at northpointcc.org, um, we'll be happy to get that for you and get that to you. It's available. You can order it from Amazon. It's on Audible. Um, it's a powerful book that just looks at the facts of the resurrection from an objective perspective to say what's reasonable to expect happened. Once you read that, ultimately then you've got to come to some kind of decision about what you do with that information. That's what happened to the women on that Sunday morning. The angel said, he's risen, just as he said. And Luke describes something remarkable. He says, then they remembered his words. They remembered what Jesus had said. They were confused and afraid they heard what the angel said, but then they experienced this aha kind of moment. It's like the pieces fell into place. The answer wasn't just in their heads. All of a sudden, it penetrated their hearts. It was like, oh, that's what this means, and it changed their lives. They remembered Jesus' words. Three different times, Jesus had told the disciples he would rise again. When he was in Galilee, he had said to them, the son of man's going to be delivered into the hands of men. They'll kill him, and on the third day, he'll be raised to life. On his way traveling to Jerusalem, he had said to his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, on Thursday night, just a few days before this Sunday morning, he had told his disciples, after I've risen, I'll see you in Galilee. The women remembered what Jesus said. And in that moment, as the dots were connected, they realized his death wasn't a tragedy. Jesus' death was a triumph. The empty tomb wasn't a mystery. It was the fulfillment of what Jesus had forecast. It was his plan all along. The fear and the confusion that they had experienced, it was their issue, not Jesus's. Jesus was alive. And they remembered, as they remembered what Jesus had told them, the light switched on. Jesus' resurrection was no longer an academic exercise. It wasn't even an issue of faith. It was reality. John tells us that moments later, Mary is walking in the area where the tomb was and she sees a man that she thinks is the gardener. 
And she goes to speak to him and says, where have they taken, if you know where they've taken his body, tell me. And the man, Jesus, says Mary's name. And the moment that she hears him say her name, she realizes that he's the master, that he's Jesus, and that he's alive. He's risen is no longer words. It's the moment that changed everything in her life. None of the women would ever be the same ever again. That aha moment happened at different stages for different people. For one of the disciples, a man named Thomas, it didn't come for a week after this time. He hadn't been there that Sunday night when Jesus appeared to the other 10 disciples. Uh, and, and he didn't believe it. John records it this way and says, the other disciples told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's alive. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet still believe. That aha moment, that connection of the dots, that's why we're here to celebrate this morning, to celebrate Easter. It's not, it's not because of the conclusions of a cold case detective. It's not even because that's what the gospels record uh, what's written there. We're here to celebrate the reality that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Because of that, we can have courage and hope and peace no matter what the circumstances are. We can face COVID or bankruptcy or tragedy or disease, even death, knowing that there is life on the other side. We can have a right relationship, not because of anything that we've done, but entirely because God came to earth, became a man, lived a sinless life, became the sacrificial lamb, took our sin on himself as he was crucified, and then turned the world upside down when three days later he came out of that grave alive. This last week, Jake Redmond had his aha moment. Jake's a friend of mine who told me that I could tell his story this morning in the message. Jake's been a skeptic all of his life. He's had a long list of reasons why one religion was as good as another, why he didn't need to give his life to Jesus. He wasn't convinced that Jesus was the only way that you could have a relationship with God. And he'd seen lots of people who claimed to be followers of Jesus, but didn't live that out. About a year ago, we went skiing together. Let me just pause for a second and say, this is Jake Redmond, not Jake Howard, who did the mid-service, okay? Uh, somebody after the other service said, Jake's just now gonna be, uh, well, uh, no, different Jake, okay? Um, about a year ago, Jake and I went skiing together, and on the way home, we had a conversation about 
all of the objections that he had to becoming a Christ follower. He said, there's this and this and this and this and this. He knew that Jesus was a real person. He said, everybody knows that. That's, that's easy. But there were just so many things that he still couldn't buy into. But he could see God working in his life. We talked about all the objections, all the distractions, all of the things that kept sidetracking him and said, you know, maybe it's time to stop looking at the distractions and to start to focus instead on the core issue, the main event, the biggest thing that's there. And that's that God loves you. And he's been doing that. The more he's seen Jesus working in his life, something interesting has happened though. The more he said, you know what? My life's too much of a train wreck for me to follow Jesus. I've gotta get everything figured out. I've gotta get cleaned up. I've gotta make things right before I take that step. This past week, Jake came to a conclusion. He said, I really need to fully trust Jesus. I need to accept that he is who he said he is. I need him to be my savior and my Lord. It was his aha moment. And so today, after this service, about 1215, Jake's gonna be baptized into Jesus. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, he's he's going to experience the promise of a new birth. And I, I just want to invite you, if you want to stick around and be a part of that, that would be very, very cool. Um, I, I, if you've never taken that step, you know what? The water's going to be ready, and we can do that now. I, I talked to somebody after this last service, and we were talking about how God is working in his life, and I said, Mike, are you ready to be baptized? And he said, yeah. And I said, I said, why not today? Where everything's ready. He said, okay, I will. You don't need to wait. If you know that God loves you, if you know that he has a plan, if you know you need to make that commitment to him. You know, that process from confusion to fear to, to knowing what's out there, to knowing what's real, to having that aha moment. That's the story for all of us as we follow Jesus. That's the experience most all of us have in that kind of an order when we give our lives to Jesus. There's one more element though that the writers tell us about that, it, that happened on that resurrection morning. Luke 24 says this, when they came back from the tomb, the women told all these things to the 11 disciples and to all the others the other people who followed Jesus. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. What had happened that, what, had ha what happened next that morning? Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, told others about their aha moment. They told them that they had seen Jesus. They couldn't help him. The news was too good to keep to themselves. And no one believed them. Even the 12 that had been with Jesus for three years didn't 
believe him. The disciples had the answer, but they were as confused and fearful as the women were earlier that morning. Now the answer didn't make sense to them. How could somebody come back from the grave? They were gonna have to have their own aha moment. So Peter and John ran to the tomb to check it out themselves. It took them some time, but then they got it. It took Thomas a week, but then he got it. And once they got it, they couldn't stop talking about Jesus and talking about his resurrection and talking about the reality of it. Did everyone believe them? Not hardly. But even as they preached, even as they were arrested, even as they faced death, they told the story of the resurrection. We have a family here at North Point that's kind of lived out this story over the last six months. Their experience has, has, has mirrored what we've seen. Last fall, fall, all four of them tested positive for COVID, and three of the four recovered within a week or, uh, or, or two. The father, though, was one of those COVID cases where his symptoms grew worse and worse. He eventually was put on a ventilator, was put into the ICU. Two different times, the doctors came to his wife and said, you need to prepare for his death. He's not going to make it through the night. Was she confused? Was she fearful? Absolutely. But she knew Jesus. She believed in the power of the resurrection, the power of prayer. She knew it, but it didn't seem to match the circumstances that she was experiencing at that point in time. God, in a way that only he could, healed Ryan. During the time that he was in the hospital, he lost 80 pounds, but he was released. He was able to come home to his family on Christmas Eve to celebrate the birth of Jesus. About six weeks later, he was strong enough to come to church and he was sitting right down there. We talked after the service and he told me, Easter this year is gonna be crazy because I was dead twice and now I'm alive. He said, I can't help but talk about what Jesus has done in my life and how he resurrected me. He said, I don't care if people respond well or not. I've gotta tell people about what he's done in my life. He couldn't stop talking about the new life that he has in Jesus. When I texted his his wife um, last night to just make sure that I could tell a story. She sent me a message back and told me that this past Monday night, she was admitted to the hospital with a kidney blockage. When she had gone in, her body had already gone septic and she was in grave danger. That night, she said she had a near-death experience and said, I'm pretty sure I saw the face of Jesus. Her text later on said, yesterday, this is last night that she sent me this, yesterday they said I wouldn't be out of the hospital before next Tuesday. Today I told them I was ready to come home and I was gonna be home by the end of the day. I was feeling better and I believed that the Lord had healed me. They looked at me like I was crazy, but they did all their labs and ran all their tests and guess what, Pastor Rick? We serve a resurrecting Savior. It's 9.40 p.m., and I walked into the door of my house 30 minutes ago. Praise the Lord. 
When, when I asked her if I, if I could share their stories, she said, absolutely. This is all for the glory of God, the God who brings life from death, the God who changes our perspective, the God who changes the way that we see the world. The question, the question is what do you do with the story of the resurrection? It's not enough to just have it here to say, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus raised from the dead. You've got to experience that aha moment where it's not just knowledge, it's life-changing reality. When you have that, when you experience that, you can say with Christians through the ages, with the women that morning and with the disciples, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed.
me.